Welcome back to the PCS Podcast. Happy Hump Day, everybody. Good morning, good day, happy Wednesday. Yes, yes, this is the Pinball and Cool Stuff Podcast. Back and better than ever. Today is June 17th, 2020. What a wonderful, gloomy morning we're having here in Escondido. I'm waiting to get into work. I have a few short minutes here to spend with all of you. And I hope to deliver quite something for your enjoyment today. Um... In two days is going to be my ninth wedding anniversary. Very cool stuff there. Another cool stuff topic. So my wife and I are hoping to escape and get some dinner and celebrate our wedding anniversary. It's going to be great. Very excited. But even more excited to be on the cusp of a 10-year anniversary. And my wife and I are trying to plan a possible European vacation next year for our 10th anniversary. It should be amazing anyway. My wife has never been to Europe. I myself have been to Europe, but but I was young, but very, very young. Didn't really get a chance to soak it all in like I would now if I had the chance to go back, but Europe will be interesting. I'm excited. I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to go with just myself and my wife next year. I think we might be going to Italy in the month of April, so... We'll see what happens. We'll see how many babysitters we can get to volunteer, see who we have to pay to watch our kids, and see how much money we can spend on some awesome budget trip there to, uh, to Italy. I think it'll be fun. We're also going to try to go to Croatia, which also has amazing beaches, beautiful little villages on the coast, and should be a very cultural experience in any case. The only thing I'm worried about is whether Italy is economically plagued by the COVID plague. If they're economically in shambles, because if they are, that might affect my decision and the actual enjoyment of of Italy in its as, as, a, as a country. I don't know if you remember, but Puerto Rico had a big hurricane uh, some years back and it affected them so, it, it impacted them so greatly that it's essentially their economy shut down for months and they were unable to really function as a country in many respects including public service and and, and even private sector uh, manufacturing of any sort even necessities just industrial things and imports and exports so they were really struggling in the United States of course was shoveling aid onto them and trying to get them back up on their feet but they had real big problems with energy and sanitation and uh, because it was just a disastrous uh, wrecking ball of a hurricane so I'm hoping that Italy has less of an economic impact, but I, I mean, I've heard by all accounts they were the hardest hit by COVID and we'll see what happens, but I'll find out from the experts before I make any major decisions on the matter. So that's happening. You know, I had a cool stuff topic I've been neglecting for months and I should tell you this now. My new thing is baking sourdough bread. And if you haven't baked bread, it's kind of difficult. It's not just like making cookies. You just don't throw stuff into a mixer, mix it up, and uh, throw it in the oven at 350 for 12 minutes and have these wonderful cookies, which I also love to do. But I have been, I learned how to make sourdough bread. My friend, a, an expert bread maker, gave me a sourdough starter, which I keep in the fridge. And every week on Sunday, I make dough 
and then on Monday we bake in the morning because the, the bread must rest in the fridge for 12 hours before you bake. So I am here to tell you, if you have not tried baking bread or baking sourdough bread, I'm urging all of you to go out and buy a 10 pound bag of flour, go get yourself some yeast, or go get a sourdough starter and make bread. It's really fun. And I've always been really big on cooking and anything involving the kitchen. I love it, I love preparing food, I love hosting dinner and everything else, but making bread has given me the chance to expand my horizons in the kitchen and really do something that I enjoy, but also eat something that I love so much. My wife and I are huge bread fanatics, and I, I know that sourdough is very controversial. Some people hate sourdough, but sourdough to me is the ultimate bread. It's the tastiest, it's the yummiest, and it heats up well in a toaster after it's three days old, and you don't want to eat it just without, um, just kind of, kind of cold, right? So sourdough bread, man, I am privileged and grateful to be a new sourdough bread baker here in this uh, post-apocalyptic economy crazy world. With all the stay-at-home time we had, I had to do something, and making sourdough was the thing. And I love it. I got some in my car right now. I'm bringing it to my colleagues at work this morning, and I hope that they enjoy it as much as I do. So yeah, if you haven't learned, go look up, go do some research. You can actually buy sourdough starters online on eBay, and I think on Amazon. I know for sure on eBay. Um, they have very affordable starters for five or six dollars. They'll send you a starter. You just buy the flour and get to work. You, you don't even need any equipment really. You just need your your hands and a couple of bowls and some towels and water. That's it. Sourdough's that easy. It's flour, water, and salt. Three ingredients. Very simple. Very doable for even a novice chef or a novice pastry chef. All right. Let's talk some pinball. So I've been having some issues with my multimorphic heist game. The crane failed to work. It stopped working, so I emailed support and they got back to me. And it's been a, a week or so, but it wasn't their response time. It was my failure to understand the problem. They responded and we finally got to the bottom of it. Looks like there's some very nifty, uh, I guess, the build on the crane is very nifty. It's not typical. It's got some sort of a pin trigger on it that, in, that activates the magnet that had slipped uh, backwards or somehow the, the screws became loose such that the pin was not activating the magnet so I had no crane activation during the game. Anyway, I fixed it yesterday, back in business, my heist machine is fully functional once again. Thank you to Multimorphic, a guy named TJ Weaver over there, really helped me out. And he was so patient, I'm not kidding, it was, it was quite an effort to get to educate me that he undertook. And I was sending him emails once or twice a day, three times a day sometimes, like, hey look, I tried this, it didn't work. I tried that, it didn't work. Immediately he's back in my inbox saying, okay, try this, try this. Sending me pictures. He even created a YouTube video. I'm not sure if it was just for me, but it was something special that I appreciated anyway. To get me on the right track, to get my game back on and back fully functional. So now, thanks to TJ, I am once again at the helm of the best game Multimorphic has created. Honestly, Heist just gets better and better. And I told you this before, but Heist is a very challenging game. I can't say it enough. I, I mean, I don't think it's too challenging like Wonka, but I do know that if you want to get far in the game, you need to sit down and grind or stand up and grind. You need to make sure that you're focused because if you're just kind of hanging around and flailing and, and flipping, just kind of just have fun, you will not do much in that game. You got to really get down on the lines and find your shots and get serious. It's kind of like Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is a game where you 
if you want to flip and have fun, it's kind of cool. The ramps are fun. But if you want to get anywhere in the game, you have to sit down or stand up. Excuse me again. You have to focus. You have to really flip with purpose. You have to find the shots you need. You have to execute them routinely. Um, so it's kind of like that. It's not a typical layout in my opinion. Um, there's some really interesting angles that they're required to make these shots, but on the benefit side, you're able to backhand the ramp, so that's nice. So if you have ramp shots you need to make in heist, you're able to do left or right, either way. But yeah, it's a very good game, very, very challenging game. I'm really, I think it's climbing the ranks, and the reason why heist to me is a top 10 game of all time is because the LCD screen is so incredible, it's beautiful. The scoop wall feature on this game is so well implemented. To finish modes for characters, you have to hit their respective scoop, okay? It opens up, and that's how you get the MacGuffin, which is kind of like the star on the character, like the extra award. Um, it's just really well implemented. And the, in, the playfield module on this game is insane. It's just insane. Magnets and diversion everywhere. There's bucks. I think there are three Vucks up there to send the ball back to the player and you know I kind of mentioned this before but it bears repeating because mechanically this game is better mechanically than any game I've seen in a very long time. Mechanically I think it rivals Wizard of Oz. Mechanically I know it rivals Dialed In. I know certainly it rivals Wonka. It beats Wonka mechanically if you ask me. Um, but it's just so advanced, and there's just so much going on, and so, and the ball is just everywhere, and I love that. So, heist, what a masterpiece, what a masterpiece. There's, there's moments that are scattered throughout the game that really are fun and meaningful, and the kids love them, like the multi-ball starts, and the character mode starts, I just, it's such a complete game, and I cannot thank them enough for really creating something that I consider a top 10 masterpiece in pinball in our hobby. So, all right, we're going to talk about Multimorphic today. Uh, we're also going to talk about the other manufacturers that I had not mentioned on my What Makes You So Special Part 1 episode last time. So, let's move on. It is a 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting in the streets of Escondido waiting for my office to open. I'm not sure if anybody's coming. But man, I'm sitting here waiting, but I've got time here now to do the podcast. So, you know who's next on my list? It's Spooky Pinball, and we all know Spooky, the fun family-owned manufacturer out of Wisconsin who creates horror-themed machines. They started with America's Most Haunted. They continued with Rob Zombie's Spook Show. Their third game was uh, Total Nuclear Annihilation by Scott Denisi. Um, otherwise, all of their games are created, I believe, and designed by Charlie Emery, who's a pinball enthusiast who once worked in design for Jersey Jack Pinball. So he's the head honcho, he's the owner, he creates these games, and if you didn't know this, here's a fun fact. Spooky Pinball, the owners, I think they had a podcast about horror movies before they ever started making pinball machines. So you can kind of look it up, I think it's called the Spooky Movie Podcast or something, but... Um, so yeah, these guys like horror movies. These guys like horror themes. These guys like the dark side of, of entertainment. So going with that, that's what makes them so special. They do horror themes. They do them well. They do them probably better than anybody else. So if you like horror themes, Rob Zombie, America's Most Haunted, they did the Domino's pizza machine that was a custom build for the pinball company, Mr. Parks over there. Um, 
If you like horror themes, you got it. Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, another horror theme with kind of a dark gothic type of uh, musician on the headline there. So that's what you get. That's what makes them special. Um, their theme, li their licensing of Rick and Morty definitely makes them special because they're the first to do a Cartoon Network type of machine or a, I guess, Adult Swim, if you want to. I think that's what it's called. It's adult-themed, adult-humored cartoons. They are the first to do that, and I appreciate that foray into that world that they've, they've took. And, of course, it has borne fruit for their company. They've sold 750 machines in four hours. That makes them special as well. That will be a historic release, I think, forever. I don't know if anybody's ever going to sell 750 games in four hours ever again. We'll see. We'll see if GNR sells 750 in one hour. Who knows? Maybe they could break the record. All right, so Scott Denisi's their designer of, of report. What's the word? Designer? I don't know. Anyway, he's their special designer, right? Scott Denisi, like Eric Minier for JJP, like Lawler for JJP, and like Joe Balser for American Pinball is their premier designer. He's the one that they look forward to each game that he's creating. He has his own fan base outside and independent from Spooky. People are Scott Denisi fans, right? So that makes them special, that he's a contractor for them. Um, I think their limited production is kind of an exclusive production model that they're making. I, I don't know if I love it or hate it, but right, I, maybe I'm just in the middle. I think it does create exclusivity with their games. Rick and Morty, there's certainly exclusivity with ownership there. 750 total games, not a single one will ever be made again, according to Spooky. That creates a demand and an exclusivity of ownership that I think makes them special. I don't... Let's see. CGC doesn't do that. JJP does not do that. Stern Multimorphic does not do that. American Pinball does not do that. So yes, they are the only ones who make 750 of each game. All right? All right, so what have they lost? So what has Spooky lost since their inception as a company? They have lost their low price point, okay? They are no longer $6,000. They have lost that, like many others. Uh, but Stern has stayed close. They're $6,100 for a pro now. So Stern, price point-wise, may be the only company besides Multimorphic making games for six grand or less, all right? Um... So yeah, Rick and Morty was a $10,000 game if you got all the options. Usually people got the Bloodsuckers, which was eight grand straight up. Um, then they added options, so it made it you know eighty-five or nine $9,000 game. I don't know if Spooky's losing their small company charm. And I say that, and take it with a grain of salt, because I know people are cult fanatics for Spooky, and I don't want to disrespect them. But I think that they're growing, and it, it's obvious that they're growing. They've moved into a new facility, a larger one. They're now building games at a higher click or a faster rate, and perhaps it is now becoming a medium-sized company or something of a less or a more than small business. And that may cause them to lose some of that charm, and I think it may be harder for them to respond and become be part of the community that they want to be. Um, they're very involved in the community. They're very involved in Pinside, so they, they interact with the customer base routinely and regularly, so that's good. But I don't know if their size will prevent that in the future, like Stearns, of course, or even like JJP. Um, I think, here's what I think Spooky's lost that's most important. They've lost their way when it comes to QC and testing. Testing probably being more important here. 
If you guys didn't know, and I've mentioned it before, Rick and Morty came out and was released and produced with a major design flaw. Major. Hardware, screws, bending rails, things like that needed to happen before the game even functioned as it was designed to function. Now why would you say that is? They failed to test it. They didn't have a prototype or a production prototype that they said, let's play the crap out of this game for 10 days. Nobody leaves the building until we literally melt the solenoids on this game. Okay, guys, stay here, we're playing. Did they do that? Because the way that the game came out and the way that that upper shot, that upper loop shot, did not function whatsoever and some other aspects also did not function leads me to believe that they didn't test it and they released it hastily because of the idea that they sold out and because the demand was so strong and because people were so excited. And that's a shame. Let's hope that they get that back. Let's hope that they have a testing protocol from now on that involves heavy testing. Hundreds and thousands of games to be put on each game that they produce or intend to produce. I think that's important. I know I've never bought a game with that sort of a malfunction built off of the line that was that was poorly tested like that. My Wonka came, played perfectly immediately. I had a couple failures in the, in the magnet. That was a magnet failure in there. Yeah, no problem. Give me a new coil, right? But the game played perfectly when it was when it was actually powered on and everything was working. There was no rails that needed to be moved. There was no flippers that were needed to be adjusted. The shots worked. The shots continue to work. Stern, same thing. Iron Maiden, not a single issue. I have like a phantom hit on the captive ball once in a while, and I think there's a switch that needs adjustment on my captive mummy ball, but really, I can play and enjoy it without even touching that thing and worrying about it adjusting the switch. It still plays great. I know how to hit it. I know where to hit it. It works great. So yeah, Spooky, you're the only one. CGC, same thing. My Monster Bash came perfect, not a problem. I've played Houdini, I've played American Pinballs, uh, what was it, I played Highways, Full, Thro Full Throttle, and Alien. I've never seen these games needing adjustment the way that Spookies did, so it's, it's a bad club to be in, Spooky. Get back on the testing wagon, get right, make games that function and shoot perfectly from the get-go. Don't require your buyers who are spending eight or 9000 to get a screwdriver and a drill out and get some wood screws and go to work. It's not cool. Nobody wants to do that. All right, Multimorphic. Multimorphic, the highlight of the month, really, if you want to say that Pinball and Cool Stuff podcast has been very emphatic about Multimorphic in recent, in this last month. So, what do we have here on the special column for Multimorphic? And here's the main thing about Multimorphic. And this is the main thing about the entire theme and the entire topic that we're discussing, which is what makes people so special. Multimorphic has exclusivity in more areas than any other manufacturer, and I'll explain why. And we already know, exclusivity matters. You have to get this game if you want that feature, right? Jersey Jack had it before with RGB lighting and large LCD screen. Now it's gone, everybody does that. Multimorphic still possesses exclusivity on major playfield options or items, okay? Now let's go. So, the scoop wall. They're the only manufacturer who do a scoop wall. The LCD playfield, no kidding, right? The only manufacturer does that. The only manufacturer has infrared location of the ball where literally the machine without any hardware, switches, optos, or otherwise knows precisely where the ball is on the play field. Nobody does that. I don't think anybody ever will. That is really, really cool. And it creates opportunities to make game features that nobody can duplicate. That's exclusivity. Modular play fields, another exclusivity that they enjoy that I don't think anybody will ever touch. $2,500 games, uh, again, 
that price point will never be beat. Ever. Not unless somebody tries to be Multimorphic Part 2. In which case, I'm sure Multimorphic, well, their lawyers might have something to say about that, right? Moving on. So, Wi-Fi compatibility, they were the first. I don't know how long they'll be the only one, but as of now, they are the only one who has Wi-Fi compatibility between games. And be- between games remotely, no less. Oh, let's see. Wi-Fi updates. So, I don't know for sure, but I'm assuming Wi-Fi updates will be forthcoming for machines, for Multimorphics games. Um, I'm just putting there as a speculation, I guess. That's definitely a speculation. Um, decal magnets. So, right. So, their they're decals, their cabinet decals are magnets, right? So, they literally come on and off, and they can roll up in store if you want to, and you just slap another one on. Do you know what it takes to replace a decal on another machine like a Stern, a JJP, or a Williams? You have to use a heat gun. You have to take off the rails, take off the hardware, use a heat gun to remove carefully the sticker if it comes off clean at all. Otherwise, you're using a belt sander. And then you're smoothing it out with Bondo and then slapping a new sticker on. The process, I've heard, takes 25 hours minimum. I think it might take me four minutes to take off the decals on my Multimorphic game and slap new ones on. I'm gonna ask the team over at Multimorphic if they'd send me a generic P3 decal. I need to get on the phone or get on the email and ask them if I can get one of those because I really like the look of it and I like the idea that I can swap it out if I'm not playing uh, the heist game. I really like it. It's really a very clean decal. Anyway, they're the only ones who do the decals with the magnets. They probably will always be the only ones who do that. So here's another one that's kind of controversial. All right, they have an upper flipper on Heist, right? That's the first game they've made that has three flippers. The upper flipper is operated by an independent mech, which you would need to install if you didn't order the Heist machine as a new machine. I didn't have to do it, so here I go. They have a third button on the right side of the game that operates that flipper. So there's three buttons on each side. On this game, the red buttons are the lower flippers, the whites are the upper. So the upper right flipper is operated by a white button, independent and separate from the actual lower flipper button. Is that a pro or is that a con? Initially when you start to play, you feel like it's kind of a con because you're not used to it. After about 30 games, you get used to it, at which point I think it becomes a pro because if you want to stage your balls down in the lower flippers, you hold your red button while you don't have to worry about staging the flipper button, you just whip it. You hit that white button separate, it's right next to the red button, it's fairly easily to, easy to access, and I appreciate the engineering and the thought that went into that. Here's the thing though, if I was multimorphic, what I would do is create a setting or a, an adjustment in the menu that says, can I operate all flippers on the same button? Because there's, there's gonna be lots of people who aren't so open-minded who just say, no, I hate it, and they need to put it on the same button like every other game ever made. So, Multimorphic, I hope you're listening. Maybe it's worthwhile to add a bit of code for a setting there in the adjustments menu that a, an operator or a user can just flip the switch and say, okay, every uh, flipper on the right side is going to be the right red button. I hope so. I think it would help. I think it would help with people who are a little bit more stubborn and sticks in the mud. Like, you know, the pinball demographic, right? 40 to 65-year-old men. Most of those 55-plus guys, they, they don't change. They kind of are set in their ways. Us younger folk, we're willing to change. We can adjust. All right, so Backbox LCD. Uh, That, I think, is the biggest one ever made. Now, I was playing the game yesterday. I think the LCD screen is the largest in pinball. I could be wrong. I didn't measure. But when I'm looking at it, I think it's a little bit bigger than Wonka. Anyway, 
Um, it's no extra charge per unit, and I think that's important. They literally made a significant upgrade to their platform and their machines and kept the price the exact same. Now, what manufacturer has ever done anything like that? I've never seen anything like that. If you get a more fully loaded game, you get a more, more fully loaded price pretty much unconditionally. Um, they got original themes. I think this is uncommon now, which makes it kind of cool. Um, uh, Spooky's done some original themes. Of course, American Pinball has done theirs. But these original themes, I think, are more better. They're better thought out. I think they are more thoroughly planned and executed. I think they do the original themes better than anybody else. If you go play Lexi and Heist, you'll see what I mean. I think that they, they just do it better. It's more appealing. It's more generally applicable to a general audience, and I think that is very valuable for, for Multimorphic. Um, honestly, I think that they're passing the savings of their lack of licensing onto the buyer. And you don't see that with Stern. They're not passing a non-licensed game savings to you. Black Knight was the same price no matter what. And I know they paid a license fee, but you can bet it was barely anything. Um, you know, American Pinball's not passing license savings on to you. They just got Hot Wheels out, and it's less money per unit. So they paid for license and then charged you less. Obviously, the bomb was lower. But anyway, moving on. The idea that they're passing the savings for not having to pay for licenses onto the buyer, I think, is a real one. And I'm anxious to see what Jerry and the team are going to do next with a license, possibly. I think it's going to be exciting. And as a buyer, I'd pay $250 more per machine or per module to pay for that license. So if you're charging me $2,500 for a module for my, my P3, I will pay $2,750. Does anybody else agree with me? Is $250 worth a license that you love? I say it is. I would pay $200 extra for Maiden. $300 extra for Maiden. I would pay $300 extra for Guns N' Roses because it's a cool license. I would pay $300 extra for a Monster Energy Supercross theme or a Grand Theft Auto theme or Red Dead Redemption theme. I would. And I think a lot of people would anyway. So what has Multimorphic lost? I, I think the list here is sparse and pardon my bias. I own the game. I love it. But I also own CGC, Stern, Williams, and JJP. So I've been fair in treating them the way that I think is fair and the way that I think is true. They had a price increase. So they had a heist price increase because the third flipper, so it was $27.50 essentially for the playfield module, um, for the third flipper. So you're paying for that flipper. Essentially, it's not an increase, it's just an adder if you want that feature. So I, I tend to respect it, but I think that the price increase, I don't know, does anybody get turned off by that? They've been around for six or so, excuse me since 2016 so in four years that's their only price increase I don't know if that's unfair I think it's pretty fair but that might be considered a losing proposition by some I'm not sure and that's multimorphic they are the most exclusive pinball manufacturer they have the most exclusive features offered to the buyer and I think they are the most special when it comes to creating a game that nobody can mess around and imitate with nobody can touch what they do they can't it's all patented it's all patented. Good job, Multimorphic. Stern! Stern! The big dog. The gigantic gorilla in the room. The one that everybody wishes that they were. Or maybe not. I don't know. They just wish they had the revenue that Stern has. So Stern's got the best licenses, and that's what makes them special. They're the only, only ones out getting Hollywood licenses and uh, mega metal bands licenses, except now for JJP. They are the only ones getting ACDC, Iron Maiden, Kiss... Aerosmith, 
Led Zeppelin's coming this year, so they're out for the licenses. They know that licenses sell games, and I respect that. They have good quality games, and that's not exclusive, but it does make them special. JJP and Stern make very well-built games. Um, I, I've played the crap out of my Maiden. I've beat it to death. A thousand games on the machine at this point, okay? A thousand games since 2018, June. So it'll be two years in about two weeks. Maybe even not two weeks. Anyway, it's been two years since I've owned the machine. A thousand games later, not a single break, not a single malfunction. I've simply worn through post rubbers. That's it. New post rubbers. I've spent all of maybe $20 on the machine since I bought it for rubbers. That's it. And I'm really proud of that about my machine and about Stern. That they make games that are built to be beat up on location, in barcades, in arcades. They make them so kids can rattle them around and mess them and, and older people can shake the hell out of them and tilt them. They will not break. Very, very cool. Very, very good for them. The best artist in pinball belongs to Stern. And guess who? Zombie Yeti is the best artist in pinball. Possibly the best artist ever in pinball history. I would put him up against anybody. I would. I would. I've never seen anybody, or I've never seen a pinball community or any community so, so excited about something that doesn't even involve the playfield design or the game itself, how it plays. The only artist people are getting crazy about is our Franchi and Zombie Yeti, and in my opinion, you can vote for Franchi, that's fair. I think they're very, very competitive, but Zombie Yeti takes it, only for the reason that his art, to me, is more, I guess, cartoonish, and I like that style. I like the way that he does his lines. I like that he does things that are themed around cartoonish art in the first place, so he's, he duplicates that sort of feel, and good for him. He's got a special niche, and he's the best at it. So, nothing but respect. What has Stern lost in the past six or seven years? I mentioned this before, Lord of the Rings is nowhere near, or excuse me, Black Knight and Iron Maiden are nowhere near the game that Lord of the Rings is. And I don't mean they play better or play worse. I mean there's no money in the games. I mean there's no value when you purchase the game. So, price and value. Stern has lost both of those. Their prices are insanely high. The value for the dollars you spend is insanely low. We all know that. I know that. I'll buy a new inbox game knowing it's a terrible value proposition. I just love the games. And here's what I was thinking about yesterday. I don't think I'll ever buy another new inbox Stern game. And I know I flip-flop on plenty, but I just have a strong feeling about that. A very strong feeling. I don't know if there's a theme out there that would make me buy a new inbox because I just don't think there's money, the money's in there. I just don't think there's, there's enough in these games to create that value. And so until I see a pretty transcendental shift in how they create their games and the uh, value of their bombs, I feel like I'm out on new inbox for them. So they don't really make any more toys and mechs on their games, which is really unfortunate. Um, pretty simple games. Low bombs, few mechs, that's it. Um, Black Knight Sword of Rage and Iron Maiden are very indicative of a low bomb and very few mechs. Uh, the Monsters game, obviously, hardly anything in that game. Take a look at Ripley's Believe It or Not. Take a look at Monopoly. Take a look at Lord of the Rings, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Take a look at games that they used to make that were chock full of mechs, that were chock full of steel and hardware, things that make the game exciting and different. 
That's just not how they make games anymore, everybody. That's old hat, right? That's old. That message is so trite and beat up, I know, but for this topic, for this conversation, it bears repeating. All right, so coding. Stern's coding needs... They need some new blood. I'm glad they have Tim Sexton. He's a great coder. I'm really happy. The things he did with Black Knight were great. I hope they keep him. Lyman Sheets is excellent. Everybody else, they need a pink slip. No, I'm just kidding. I don't want, I'm not calling for anybody's job. I just think that they need to bring three or four new young coders on, like Tim Sexton, to start to build a skill set and to start building their talent and developing it such that we can have games like Black Knight Sword of Rage, that sort of coding that is favorable to tournament players and family home use players alike. I think Tim really really did a great job. A very, very good job. So who's the last on the list? American Pinball. And I've got a little bit to say about Hot Wheels, but I'm not going to do it today because we're at 33 minutes and I think it's time to wrap it up. So, all right, so American Pinball, what, what makes them special? They have everything that every other game manufacturer has. Joe Balser, in my mind, is the only thing that makes them special. Um, I think he's a great designer, and I think he did an insanely good job with Oktoberfest, and he did, and he got zero credit. Um, I think he did a pretty bad job with Houdini because there's one too many shots on that game, of course. But really, Oktoberfest is amazing. Hot Wheels playfield design looks very unique. I, I, it's a fan layout, but it's not a normal one. So I know it's kind of redundant, or, or excuse me, uh, contradictory. But a fan layout that's unique. To me, that's what Hot Wheels is. Go have a look at it. It's just, it's abnormal, and it's kind of cool, and I kind of like it. Um, but we'll talk more about that in our next episode. Uh, I think their animations at this point are really, really good, which is another Hot Wheels topic. Hot Wheels has animations that I've never seen before, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of it. So go check that out. That may be where they are special now. Where their Oktoberfest animations were pretty rotten by a consensus in our community. The Hot Wheels animations are a cut above, a very significant upgrade for them, and that might be the thing, besides Joe Balser, that makes them special. Now, what have they lost since their inception? I I don't know if they've lost anything. They're, they're still a young company, by all accounts, right? They have uh, three games. Is it uh, Houdini, Oktoberfest, and Hot Wheels, right? Am I missing something? Brain fart? I need some coffee. Anyway, I don't think they've lost anything. I think that they're, they've they've lost lots of potential customers with the release of Oktoberfest, but that's about it. Um, they need to figure out what they're going to do with their games going forward. They need to bring on a new designer. I think they're lo- people are losing interest in Balser's designs, but not me. And I think it's time to bring on somebody who really can just bring it. Really, really bring it. And, and offer a game that will dominate. That will take... You know, sell 3,000 units. They need to hit that mark. I'll, I'll, if they don't, who knows what's going to happen in the next three years. I doubt they'll still be around if they don't have a three, three or 4,000 unit sales on, it, on their next two games. But uh, we'll see, right? Notably absent from this discussion is Deep Root Pinball because they don't make games. They don't make games. But they're everywhere. They're all over Canada's Pinball Podcast. They're all over the shows with their prototypes. But they don't make games. None, none that you can buy anyway. Have we heard a whisper from them in the past month or two months? I'm not sure. I'm, I mean, maybe we're all going to be blown away and we're all going to be just shook, shook. The entire world's going to shake when they release games. But as of now, they don't make games. And I'll get there when they do. I will. All right. So 
I have a conclusion here. I think all these manufacturers have something to offer. Every manufacturer appeals to different types of players. They have something for everybody, right? And that's kind of the, the point of this conversation. If you want a style of game, you can have it. They all build fun games. They all fill a different need for all of us in pinball. And they all do something a little bit different from one another, right? I like that. I'm grateful for the options we have. I'm really looking forward to what the manufacturers have to bring in the next 18 months. Um, in my opinion, JJP and Multimorphic are the best manufacturers of pinball for the various reasons that we've discussed. Um, I think they offer the most unique, value-incentivized games for the buyer, and I think that they have the best customer support. I've never experienced anything like it. People who help you, who respond, who help you get your game set up and right, and who care about their customers in a genuine way. And for that reason, that's my vote. Maybe it's 1A and 1B. I'm not going to say who's 1A or 1B, but they are 1A and 1B. Multimorphic and JJP. And I guess I kind of had to end with my vote on who's the best, right? I don't mean to be controversial. I'm not saying Stern's bad or Spooky's bad. I'm just saying my favorites. I have a right to have my favorites. Thank you for joining me, everybody. Have a great hump day. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll catch up to you maybe this weekend. CKY.